We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Packers Wire and Pack a Day podcast co-branded episode. I'm your host Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can, of course, follow my co-host, Paul Brettel, at on Twitter, at Paul underscore Brettel. You can find him on the Packers Wire. You can find him on his own YouTube channel. You can find him at Dairyland Express. You can find him on the radio. You can find him on the internet. You can find him pretty much everywhere. Paul, I'm glad we can find you here as well. How the heck are you doing? I'm doing excellent, Andy. Uh, still, still reminiscing about Sunday's victory, even though I know we got a quick turnaround. The players got to have a quick turnaround. But us here on the sidelines, we can still uh, discuss and reminisce about that fourth quarter. So I'm doing fantastic and always happy to join you. Yeah, it's so funny. I I talked about this a little bit, but I I was, you know, start of the fourth quarter. And I'm just thinking like, man, how it's so great that there's a Thursday game so they can just burn the tape on this Mm -hmm. one and just put that game to rest and just get out and play another game. And hopefully it goes a lot differently than the the Saints game. And yeah, no need. Uh, they, They took care of things on their own. Still like. I, I don't think Green Bay is like on the other side all that often. I think it just feels that way to every team when you experience yeah, right. losses like that. But it just feels really good when you're on the other side and you just you're losing the game. There's no real chance of winning. And then you win like it, it doesn't feel like it happens that way very often for Green Bay. So it was awesome. Awesome to see that happen. Yeah, 100 percent. Matt LaFleur, I think, even referenced that a little bit because obviously I mean, they've been so good since he's been here that they're not in this position to begin with. So. I mean, at least during the Matt LaFleur era, if things do go south and one team does make a comeback, it is has been on the Green Bay Packers. So even referenced, it was nice to be on this side of it, of, of the table for once. 
um, and, and just feeling that momentum and coming away with that outcome. I mean, you, you were sitting there alongside of me in the, in the press conference afterwards, like he used the word emotional and you could, you could see that you could feel that from him, just what that meant to him, what that meant to the team. Um, just a really, you know, outside of what took place on the football field, just a really, really cool moment for a, a young group, a young group that they have. Yeah. I can only imagine as a coach, when you preach something consistently and are just asking to play with a certain vigor and a certain intensity and just keep fighting no matter what, then like this, I think we all have like the, these ideas of like a, a, you know, you know, football of years past and like how high school football, like these are professional athletes. And yes, you, you would think that on a, on some level that they're constantly fighting and battling for everything, but these are adults. There's a lot going on in their lives. And um, I'm sure winning and losing a football game to some isn't like the most important, but like to see this team as young and inexperienced. And I think somebody asked the question of like, maybe they're just too inexperienced to even know mm-hmm. any better at this point. Like that down 17 with 11 minutes left is, you know, your, your probability is not really great in that situation, but uh, yeah, to, to see this team just kind of rally and figure out a way out of what was kind of a mess of a game up until that point and just not give up. It was the opposite of what happened the week before they folded in the fourth corner against Atlanta. It took this young inexperienced team all of one week to apparently learn from that mistake and realize, Hey, mm-hmm. we can do the, the exact same thing to the opposite team. So j- just a really cool, fun week to be a part of. And what, what's the opposite of a, a burn the tape week. Is this like, a, you, know, you memorialize the tape, like, uh, but I, I'm, you know, whatever it is, I'm sure a lot of people either that watched the game or were there Jordan loves first start to have that sort of end game experience. I think it's going to get, be one that we look back upon very fondly in, in future years. Yep. So just, just says a lot about that locker room and the guys that they got in there. Really, really does. I mentioned a couple of times this week, like you don't know when, sometimes a locker room slash culture test is going to take place. It's, mm-hmm. it's a pop quiz more than it's something that like you can prepare and study for. You don't know when that moment's going to happen. The Broncos had one this week. They didn't respond to it very well. They lost by 50 points. Uh, last year I talked about all the time where they're in Chicago, they're down by, you know, two scores in the fourth quarter. They've lost seven of eight games and they have to find a way to win that game to stay in playoff contention. They win and win and win and win before having a chance to, you know, potentially get a playoff seed against the Detroit Lions, who we'll talk about more in just a moment. And this year you lose a really harsh game in the fourth quarter to a Falcons team, a game that you probably should have won. They could have wallowed in it. They suck for three and a half quarters, basically against the saints. They could have wallowed in it and they got a culture test and they passed that test with flying colors, which is just so much more fun to see. Mm -hmm. Well said. Let's talk about what else are we going to talk about? Let's start with injury report, of course, because it's, Besides this awesome, incredible, fun comeback that the Packers had, the injury report has been a topic of conversation for some time now, specifically because not only is the list long, but the list is long with insanely important players from this team. It did feel like for the first time in a while, we got some good news. It's not all good news, but it did feel like we got some good news. So the first thing, Zach Tom, Carrington Valentine, Christian Watson, and Jair Alexander all returned to practice in some capacity. So that was a very good sign. Rashawn Gary, who was limited, remained limited, but no issues or setbacks there. Aaron Jones also continued to practice, was also listed as limited uh, for the day. So Zach Tom, Carrington Valentine, Christian Watson, Jair Alexander, Rashawn Gary, and Aaron Jones all practiced in some capacity, albeit limited. Meanwhile, Zane Anderson, David Bakhtiari, Devondre Campbell, and Elton Jenkins all did not practice. Now, even above and beyond that, the locker room 
maybe also not quite aware yet at their young age of maybe not letting the cat out of the bag a little bit too soon on a short week against a divisional opponent. Sounds like this locker room, I know Romeo Dobbs said that Aaron Jones is going to play this week. Christian Watson said he's going to play this week. Matt LaFleur played that back just a little bit and said, hey, Christian Watson's not even cleared yet, so he's got to clear that hurdle. But overall, it felt like this was mostly good news for this Packers team. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we all know the importance of Aaron Jones and Christian Watson to this team, but on a short week and going against the Lions defense, and we'll talk about it more here in a second, but the their run defense is, is their strength. So obviously getting Jones back to help out that unit and also just what he brings to the passing game. I mean, just look at that Bears game uh, two weeks ago and the two explosive plays that he was able to generate there. Uh, Christian Watson, we all know the big playability that he brings, but as we saw over the summer, he's someone who's going to impact the offense at all levels of the field, um, can play inside, can play out, just the matchup problems and opportunities that he creates for others. And again, we'll touch on it here in a second, but the moving the ball through the air might have to be, you know, they've they've done a decent job of it, but they might have to really rely on it against this Lions defense. So goes without saying, uh, getting those two back is huge. Um, Zach, Tom, uh, obviously we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But if he can't go, all of a sudden, you know, this this offensive tackle depth that we talked about all summer, it's going to be pushed to the limit, especially if Bakhtiari can't go because now you got Walker and uh, Yash Nyman are going to be out there. Caleb Jones is going to be your uh, – swing tackle option off the bench if they're without two of those guys. So, I mean, that's a, that's a premier position. It's a, it's a, it's incredibly important position in the game. So obviously that's something to watch as well. Yeah. Not only an incredibly important position and probably an even more position against a team like the Lions, who has Aiden Hutchinson. If I remember Mm -hmm. correctly, I think he had a couple sacks in that game uh, in week 18 last year. I think the, the offensive line play is going to be extremely important let me let me put it this we don't know quite yet what Zach Tom's status is going to be David Bakhtiari is impossible to predict I'm, I'm going to go on a limb and say Zane Anderson Devondre Campbell and Elton Jenkins if not practicing on this specific day probably mm-hmm. out for this game I think we knew that with Elton already I don't think that's any surprise Devondre not practicing on what would normally be like the Friday practice probably not a great sign for him and Zane Anderson I don't know that it matters all that much anyway but probably without him as well Bakhtiari if you told me, Paul, we're at the point where if you told me he played this week and didn't miss another game this season, I'd be like, sure, yeah, that could happen. Mm-hmm. If you told me he never played again, I'd be like, yeah, sure, I, that could happen. Like, I have no idea where mm-hmm. we're at in the David Bakhtiari saga at this point. So you're, I'm sure your guess is as good as mine, is as good as the Packers at this point, is as good as Bakhtiari's if he's going to play or not. So that one's really tough to gauge. But of the limited players, Zach Tom, in in my opinion, incredibly important for Aiden Hutchinson and that Lions defensive front and the running game, like you mentioned. Harrington Valentine and Jair Alexander, at least one of them. If you can't have one, now all of a sudden, Corey Valentine, or I guess theoretically, Keandre Thomas, my assumption would be Valentine, is going to have to step up and basically be a starter on that defense. Christian Watson, his ability to make plays and stretch the field, we know what he could bring to the table in this game. And then Aaron Jones, I don't think there's going to be a ton of holes. And, um, you know, just like we're going to talk about, like you said, the the Lions run defense. But Jones is going to be needed to sort of do some creating on his own as well. So, like, all of those limited players feel extremely important if they can or can't go in this game. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, even the cornerback position, like you said, if they're without both Jair and Valentine, like both of their practice squad elevations are going to have to go to that position group. Um, and it'll, that obviously limits you elsewhere. You know, they're down to three linebackers if Devondre Campbell can't go. And 
They have Christian Welch on the practice squad, who I think could be a name to watch. He has almost 900 career special team snaps from his time playing with the Ravens. And, you know, with Isaiah McDuffie, Eric Wilson, two core special teams players going to have to take on larger responsibilities on defense. Like potentially he could be someone to help buffer on special teams. So there's just going to be a massive trickle down effect around that cornerback position, essentially based on what happens to other position groups to the special teams unit and how the Packers go about constructing their roster. Yeah, this is why Paul's the best. Uh, Justice and I brought up Christian Welch yesterday and both of our Christian Welch knowledge was let's just say very minimal to say the least. So kudos to you for having your special team snaps for Christian Welch uh, down. I would not expect anything less, but no, I do think he can obviously be a player that could be called up for special teams. The roster gymnastics on this one though, are going to be extremely important. I was, uh, I know we were both sort of watching the transaction wire today to see as we were recording this on Tuesday to see if green Bay was going to start making any moves because outside of the laundry list of injuries, you also have a decision looming on Patrick Taylor and Justice and I did talk about this a little bit yesterday too, but um, they, they're they have some really interesting decisions to make for the status of this roster that almost rival like the fifty three man cut down because with Patrick Taylor, do you want to elevate him? If so, you obviously have to put him on the roster. There's no more practice squad elevation for him. So do you release Emmanuel Wilson? Do you release? Do you, you know do something with Zane Anderson? Just put him on IR or release him flat out? You know, there's a couple different ways you go. You could probably release an edge rusher. You have six. I don't know that you want to subject Bretton Cox to waivers. Do you let go of, you know, Justin Hollins? Like, I'll let you put your GM hat on, Paul. If, if you need to get Patrick Taylor on this roster and he can't be called up, what what moves are you potentially looking at here? To me, it's not a matter of if Patrick Taylor joins the 53, it's going to be when. Um, yeah. You know, he's been a key member of the of the team through the first three weeks and in part from the offensive perspective, yeah, it's because Aaron Jones has been out. But I mean, look at that fourth quarter. He was out there, you know, catching passes. That shows a pretty big level of trust that they have in him. Um, a couple times this season, you know, we've seen him step up in pass protection. And that's something that he really stood out in last season, you know, primarily as running back three for the Packers a year ago. But, you know, even when Jones returns and his role on, on offense, you know, would diminish. You know, he still played 28 special team snaps through three games. That's the 11th most on the team. Like he provides value. He, you know, he checked all those boxes. When we look back at the the Packers final roster, like to me, that was probably the biggest surprise or one of, or close to it, that he was left off of it because we heard all summer, you know, running back three special teams, pass catching, blocking, like that's Patrick Taylor. That's his resume. That's what he's put together. And after the, the Saints game, you know, Matt LaFleur, uh, unprompted complimented him in all three of those aspects. So he just brings such a, a sound uh, ability in those key elements that we know they've talked about. So I feel like it's a matter of when he's going to be added to this roster. And to your point, what's the next move to me? I mean, the most obvious one is, is Zane Anderson, whether that's moving him to IR or, you know, if they choose to flat out release him, you know, when they made that waiver wire claim that was the one you know we can we all saw why the ben sims one made sense but the addition of zane anderson to a safety position where it was already crowded i know they're you know they're still trying to at the time work out who's going to start but there's a lot of guys in there competing for roster spots and he's been a special teams guy like i i don't imagine that they have any um plans to have him get on the field defensively and you already have Dallin Levitt on your roster who provides it. You already had 
in his gains, you know, who could have been on the roster, at least on the practice squad. Like before Anderson was out of the Falcons game as, you know, with the hamstring injury, he was a healthy scratch the first two games and they brought up in his gains. Like, you know, so to me, that's the first move that they're going to make um, if, if, and when, or when they bring up Patrick Taylor, as far as Emmanuel Wilson and where he stands, that's a tough one because moving on from him this early in the season, when I'm guessing they constructed the roster, they knew they were going to rely on Patrick Taylor. Like does Wilson have more upside as a ball carrier? Yes. But in terms of who can impact the game, you know, Thursday's game right now, it's Patrick Taylor because of everything we just mentioned, the special teams, the blocking ability, but they knew that, you know, this isn't a surprise. It's not as if Wilson's a, a veteran or in his second or third season and they were going to rely on him and he hasn't come through. Like he's an undrafted rookie from a D2 school. He's a developmental player. They know that. So I guess moving on from him at this stage would be head scratching to me unless they were really just banking on a, a, a big, you know, him really attacking that learning curve in those aspects and being able to handle those responsibilities quicker. So my guess is they hold on to him for the time being. But again, that's four running backs, and eventually Eric Stokes is going to return, and other decisions going to have to be made in that capacity. And again, we don't know the severity of you know the Devondre Campbell injury. There's there's always things that could open up other roster spots for this team. But to put a bow on it, Patrick Taylor is going to get elevated or signed to the roster at some point, in my opinion. Again, just because the important role he's played, and to create that spot, uh, Zane Anderson on IR or moving on from him seems to be the the most direct path. Yeah, I think that's probably right. They have a couple of different things they could do, and hopefully they don't have to put someone like Elton or Devondre on IR. Like, hopefully they're not going to be out longer, and they haven't, they've, you know, not put Elton on IR specifically last week because it seems like it's hopefully going to be less than four weeks. And what helps there too is like they don't, they have a lot of time off coming up. I, mm-hmm. I tweeted this out, but you basically have almost two bye weeks because you have the Thursday night game against Detroit, and then you've got, like what is it 11 days off or 10 days off, whatever it is before, because they have a Monday night game against yep. the Raiders after that. So you've got a huge chunk of time off there. And then after that Monday night, you got to buy and then a Sunday game the following week. So you basically have in like, I think something like a 23 day period, you've got one game. So they're going to have a lot of time for those guys to hopefully get healthy and, and hopefully you don't need to place them on IR, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see how how Goody and uh, the, the coaching staff and everyone handles some of those situations and call-ups and, yeah, I, you know, I do think Patrick Taylor, Nagler asked me about this on Monday when we did the, the Cheesehead TV talk of like, did you, because I know there was the chatter of like Dylan got benched in the, in the fourth quarter because of all the, the time mm-hmm. that Patrick Taylor got. And that was more like, I, I kind of agreed with Matt and I know some people were skeptical of Matt's answer. And at the time I kind of agree with him. I'm like, they were just in two minute the whole time and Patrick Taylor was playing it well. And I think like, you know, they just kind of let him cook after a while. He had the one play on the sideline where he made someone miss and got a field. Dylan blew a, it looked like it blew, like he blew a blitz protection early in the game. Patrick mm-hmm. Taylor was fantastic in that regard. So it felt like that. And then I kind of started thinking about it a little more this week. And I'm like, you know, when they got down and it was third and goal and fourth and goal from the one or two yard line, it was still Patrick Taylor that was in there. It wasn't AJ Dylan. And it's one thing to say like, and I was even of the same mindset at the time of like, well, they're in two minute, but like when you get down there, if it's still Patrick Taylor, man, that, that is a little bit different. So it is going to be interesting to see a, like you said, probably when they get Patrick Taylor on the roster, what move is made. And then even if Jones is back, has Patrick Taylor moved to number two? Mm-hmm. Is it still going to be Dylan? Like, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the running back game goes this week. Yeah, I, it's you're hundred percent right.
I want to talk next about something I know you, you uh, I think you wrote about it, if not at least tweeted about it for sure. But this is a young team. We've seen them shoot themselves in the foot quite a bit over mm-hmm. the past couple of weeks. And really even some of the, like part of the game against Chicago, you know, we saw against Atlanta, you've got the situation where they basically after the flea flicker, they get the ball up at the 28 yard line. They were up to the 28. I think at that point should get points, you know, unless you miss a field goal, you should get points almost no matter what out of that drive, they got penalties and then they get, you know, backed up. And then you got the penalty where they were supposed to kick the field goal, but they didn't get the mm-hmm. kickoff in time and you don't get a timeout called the two minute warning against the bears. Again, that was more of a game management situation, but you let 30 some seconds run off the clock. You got to kick like what a 54 yarder or something instead of trying to get more yards. And then, you know, this week you see, you know, Jordan love end up having a sack. It looked like that's the play that Dylan potentially missed his blitz pickup, but you've take a sack that basically forces you out of field goal range on that situation. You had a just massive, crazy amount of penalties that hurt this team a ton. This is a young team, but it's also a team that unfortunately so far has had a propensity to shoot itself in the foot a little bit. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So you guys really need to make Little Caesars, which is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day routine. Pizza is the ultimate game day food. There is no question about it. If there's one thing that rivals my love for the Green Bay Packers and my love of football, it's my love of pizza. And right now you can actually order online during their pizza pizza pregame. It's one hour before NFL games and you can get ready for football, fun, choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza, pick the toppings that you crave. Me, this is going to sound weird. I know because you know uh, my pickiness with food. I love mushroom and onion. That is my absolute favorite pizza. I know it's probably not everyone else's. And of course, you know you love my food takes, but I love mushroom and onion pizza. I love it from Little Caesars. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone's going to score with convenient delivery. They also have their in-store pizza portal. So you can pick up, you can grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Trust me, you're going to love it. And, And if I have to recommend one thing for sure, have to get the crazy bread. The crazy bread is an absolute must. Enjoy it. Enjoy your game day and enjoy it more with Little Caesars. Fellas, are you running into some stubble trouble? Are you dreaming of that clean shaven look, but hate going through the hassle of a wet shave every other day? I know you are. That's why we've partnered with Manscaped. The brand for below the waist is coming to save that beautiful face. Yes, sir. Manscaped now has beard products and is going a step further with the launch of their brand new handyman electric face shaver. 
It's designed to give your face that smooth and chiseled finish without the mess of a traditional shave. Make sure to join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Head over to manscaped.com and use code PACKADAY for 20% off and free shipping. You may have noticed my recently cleanly shaved face over on the YouTube channel, and that perfect shave was brought to you by Manscaped's Handyman. The best part is I was able to get the exact shave I wanted without any of the usual mess of traditional shavers. I've also used their signature Beard Hedger, which is a juggernaut of fixing faces. You can trim your beard to 20 different lengths all in one guard, so using this thing is amazing and basically it's perfect. No matter what tool you use, you can't go wrong with Manscaped's line of products. Right now, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code PAC a day at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using code packaday. That's P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y, no hyphens. Hit that refresh button with the handyman. It's finally football season, which means it's also finally daily fantasy football season. And while I get excited to play daily fantasy every year around this time, I'm even more excited this year because I'll be using prize picks for all my daily fantasy selections. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Even better, they offer ultra quick withdrawals to make all your transactions super fast and easy. Also keep an eye out for weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. My favorite, Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, prize picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Before football season ramps up, I've been using prize picks for my MLB and college football picks as I prep for a season of winning in daily fantasy football. The experience has been amazing, and it's increased my daily enjoyment of watching Brewers and Badger games. Now, it's time to get some Jordan Love entries in prior to this weekend's game. The great thing for me is that they offer Apple Pay, which makes depositing money into my account so incredibly easy. So what are you waiting for? Join me on Prize Picks by going to prizepickscom packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepickscom packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they're to a degree a bit fortunate that they were even in a position to make a comeback in the fourth quarter because, I mean, you hit on a lot of it. They had 11 penalties throughout the game. And, you know, there was the the unsportsmanlike conduct on Kenny Clark on New Orleans' second drive that took them from already really good field position because of the turnover on downs to, you know, decently into the Green Bay territory. And that drive ended in a touchdown. Uh, the offense, there are a number of penalties on the offensive line. They just, you know, couldn't seem to get out of their own way, you know, and that either stalled drives or, you know, put them way behind the sticks for an offense that's already struggling to to move the ball on the ground. So just way too many penalties. There was the, the Jordan Love sack at the end of the second quarter that took them out of field goal range, uh, the missed opportunity, you know, down the, down the seam to Luke Musgrave, uh, the receivers, and again, credit to the saints for playing their physical brand, but there were some contested catches that the receivers weren't able to bring in or just some, you know, there were some flat out drops from that group as well. Uh, and then prior to the Packers three, uh, scoring drives in the fourth quarter, they had four trips to the saints side of the field before that that they weren't able to produce any sort of points on. So yeah. Jordan Love said it best afterwards. We we hurt ourselves more than than helped. And again, they were fortunate that, you know, one, the defense held up well. 
and the Saints just didn't capitalize on a number of those opportunities because that's a game that very likely, you know, if you do that against uh, you know a, a better opponent, that's a that's a game that's not even going to be within reach in the fourth quarter, regardless of what you do. If you just make that many miscues throughout the course of the game, so definitely something they have to clean up, of course. And like you said, I, I imagine a lot of that goes to just the. You know, the youth and experience that they have on this team, especially the clock management issues, some of the penalties and things like that. Not, not even just a better opponent, like most opponents in the NFL, right. like they're just going to beat you for that. And I tweeted, I don't know if it's like second quarter or third quarter, but I tweeted out, I'm like, the Packers are absolutely dominating the Packers in this game. Cause that's <laughs> what it felt like. Like they were beating themselves more than the saints were beating them at any point through that 17 to nothing lead. And yes, give credit to the saints specifically on defense. They played their brand of football. They had a great punt return. Green Bay didn't do well on that, but they, you know, give them credit to the other team gets paid. But overall it was a far more disappointing effort through three quarters for green Bay than it was an impressive effort for new Orleans. And, and like you said, you're just not going to beat very many teams when you play that way. Is this something that you feel like, you know, is correctable through the course of this season? I do feel like we're just going to see some of this from a young team, no matter what, but it just feels to me, I guess maybe the easy answer is it, it just, it can't be that bad. There can be some errors and some rookie stuff that is mm-hmm. just going to happen, but it, it can't be quite that bad. Yeah. I think that's spot on. I think that, or I hope anyways that, and I expect that there's going to be improvement from this group. You know, obviously the, the trust and faith that we have in Matt LaFleur to, to lead that team, to help them get those improvements. So, and as they gain more experience as well, you know, you hope that some of those time management and those penalties are going to, so I think a lot of it, and it's not always the answer you want or the best one, but again, you chalk it up to the youth and experience. And as they gain more of that experience, you know, the hopefully on the other side is going to be you know less of that sloppy football that we saw. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I want to talk about a, a positive and specifically from one of those young players, and that was Rashid Walker's play at left tackle in this game. We just talked about it. We have no idea what to expect from Bakhtiari mm-hmm. from here on out. Could be a lot of games he plays, could be none, and we just we have no clue. But what that could mean is a lot of playing time for Rashid Walker. Some nervous moments against Atlanta in that first mm-hmm. game, specifically the first quarter, missed a blitz pickup, a couple other pressures and just some bad blocks early. Thought he settled down more as that game went on. I kind of had a feel that he was going to bounce back and play much better against New Orleans. Just, I don't know, maybe gut feel if nothing else, but I thought he played a really nice game in this one. And this was a really positive sign for a young left tackle who maybe needed more dependent upon what happens with Bakhtiari. Yeah, I mean, he's held up really well. I mean, he had the the basically the red shirt year as a rookie in 2022 and I mean, for for many of us on the outside looking in throughout the summer really came out of nowhere when all of a sudden he's out there getting those those starting reps, which right off the bat just tells you what the coaching staff thinks about him. And, you know, Adam Stenovich in his weekly press conferences, he's not someone to uh go on terribly long in terms of giving an answer, but when Rashid Walker was brought up last week, you know, he he, he expounded on it and there was just a number of, uh, you know, adjectives that he used to describe Walker, his play, who he is. He called him athletic, highly confident, physical, good mentality, has all the tools. He's twitchy. Like again, just he, for an Adam Stenovich answer kind of went on and on about him again, tells you what the coaching staff thinks about him, especially the former offensive line coach, but he's, you know, from PFF, he's allowed just two pressures uh, at left tackle in the first two games. Uh, and as PFF's grades, and I know that's not the be all end all in terms of evaluation by any means, but typically if someone's playing really well, 
the grade's going to reflect that. If someone's playing really poorly, typically the grade's going to reflect that. And he's, uh, I think, in the top 15 right now among offensive tackles and pass blocking grades. So, I mean, you, the Packers need that, obviously, with David Bakhtiari not there. He's been able to come in and provide um, stability for that unit. And the pass protection, that was such a big part of the Packers' ability to come back in that fourth quarter. Again, we, we mentioned that the Saints were playing aggressive. The Love's initial reads weren't there, but you know he had the time that he needed to either wait for the window to open up or to move around the pocket. And while I'm on that topic, I'm going to take a quick tangent here. I tweeted that out during the game, and I know we can all see it, but, man, just watching it over and over in live, his ability to just – feel the pocket, his internal clock to navigate, to avoid the pressure, to, you know, ad lib, to go off schedule. It's so impressive. It, it just really, really is. And we could see that throughout the summer, but you know, that's such a, a impressive aspect of his game that he already has. Cause to a degree, like it, you, you'd think that there's some experience around that, you know what I mean? In terms yeah. of having that, that ability to just have that natural feeling of, all right, I got to move and where to move. And how to go about it. And Matt LaFleur said after the game that the, that two point conversion, like Matt LaFleur said, one, wasn't a fan of the play call. And two, the way it started out, he's like, that was not how it was supposed to go. But ultimately he goes, I had the confidence in Jordan love and to make a playoff schedule. And I had the confidence in the offensive line to give him the time he needed to go off script. If that's what ended up having to happen. And that's exactly what ended up having to happen. So roundabout way back to Rashid Walker. He's been a key part of, you know, providing that stability because the Packers offensive line, for the most part, they've been able to hold up really well in pass protection. And that obviously that's important for all quarterbacks, but uh, a young one experience wise, it's critical. Yeah. I know sometimes we can become prisoners of the moment and then we go week to week and things can change in a, a moment's notice, but I really believe he's going to be the long-term left tackle in green Bay. I mean, it was such an interesting, you know, 2022 for him where mm -hmm. there were a lot of people that had him in top 100 draft grades, third round conversation, fourth round at worst. Green Bay gets him in the seventh round and then he's injured for so long during training camp and preseason. And you just don't even know like what to potentially do with him. You don't know if it's going to end up being, you know, basically what they saw to, you know, Lou Nichols this year where they see him for a little bit mm -hmm. and then he gets hurt and you just have to basically, you know, put him on IR and release him with an injury designation just because he never got to play and he's just a seventh round pick. So it's not like you're putting that much stock into it. And then he gets back for that last preseason game. Yeah. I always remember the next morning I get the all 22 and I pop it on and I'm just kind of excited to see Rashid Walker just because we hadn't seen him at all. I'm going through this first, you know, first preseason game, barely practiced, barely did anything, gets in the game, plays. I think he played quite a few snaps in that game mm -hmm. and I'm watching, I'm just like, this dude's really freaking good. Like, I think he just literally earned a job in this mm -hmm. one game because he just, he was awesome in that first preseason game. And then, as you mentioned, gets the red shirt season. And then you're you're wondering, you, he comes back this year, but you're like, you see all the depth at offensive tackle. Caleb Jones is a 53-man guy. Um, you know, Luke Tenuta got like was like active over Rashid Walker and Caleb Jones towards the end of last year. And you've got Bakhtiari back and you've got Zach Tom at tackle. And you're just starting to do the math and you're like, yeah, you looked awesome in that, you know, those 40, you know, preseason snaps in that one game or whatever. But like, I don't even know if this guy's going to potentially make the team. And then he comes and has the awesome training camp. He went, he gets the reps over, you beats out Yash Nyman clean. And understandably mm -hmm. so, you go back and watch the preseason, as I know you have, like he, he was way better than Yash in preseason mm -hmm. in their performances this summer. 
And then he gets in, starts week two, few hiccups to begin with, settles down, and then plays that sort of game in week three. Um, I'm really, really excited about Rashid Walker. I think, like I said, I, I'm ready to go as far as to say, I think he's going to be a long-term player for this, for this Packers offensive line. And I'm excited about it. Yeah. He's been, like you said, very, very impressive. And I mean, Brian Gutekinds, what we know he does, he values offensive line play. And you know, we look ahead to 2024 and there's definitely that, you know, perhaps less now, but there was definitely that uncertainty that you could see coming down the the pipeline, even from, you know, Bakhtiari's cap hit, Yash Nyman, uh, you know, hits unrestricted free agency at that point, but, you know, drafting Walker to develop them, um, finding Caleb Jones, claiming Luke Tenuta off waivers, like to the best of their ability without having this cap space to go get guys or, you know, spending high or, uh, you know, top draft picks, top 100 draft picks on the position. They've done a really good job. And we know it's a strength of theirs being able to develop offensive linemen to prepare for the potential. And again, seemingly becoming a little less uncertainty at again, a really key position next off season. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to think of that just right now, if, if they didn't add another player player via free agency or the draft next year and lost all of their free agents and Bakhtiari retired or go, was gone or whatever, that they could still put out theoretically an mm-hmm. offensive line left to right next year of Rashid Walker, Elton Jenkins, Josh Myers, Sean Ryan, and Zach Tom. Like, watch some of the offensive line player on the league. And there are a ton of offensive lines that would die or a ton of teams that would die for that level of offensive line right now. And that's like, if they lose all of their guys, don't add a single player and don't draft a single player, they still have what seemingly would be a pretty competent line in 2024, which is crazy to think about. But Mm -hmm. on the flip side, while they are doing well, (laughs) run blocking, not so much. It's been an issue for a variety of different reasons. And now they run into this Lions defense, which has been a buzzsaw against the run. And nobody's like Bijan Robinson and friends who just ran it all through the Packers defense. They couldn't do anything against the Lions run defense. You know, it's, this could be a very long day from a running standpoint. It'd be great to get, you know, maybe we'll see what happens with Bakhtiari. We'll see what happens with Zach Tom. We'll see what happens with Aaron Jones. It'd be great to have some of those guys back if they can play, but either way, this is going to be a really tough matchup. Yeah, the as you mentioned, the Lions, they bottled up Atlanta. Uh, Bijan Robinson had 33 yards on 10 carries. The Lions are giving up uh, just 3.2 yards per rush for the season, and that's against Kansas City, Seattle, and Atlanta so far. And the Packers, as you said, they're just they're struggling in that area. I mean, yes, A.J. Dillon definitely has areas that he has to improve upon. His vision, his burst, his balance, like he's got to be better, but – there were a lot of plays on Sunday where he's getting hit in the backfield before he even really has an opportunity to get going or make a decision on where to go. And that wasn't just Sunday's theme. You know, it was tough sledding against the the Atlanta Falcons week one against the bears. And that's not an, you know, an overly dominant defensive front. Again, there, there just weren't a ton of running lanes for that group. Malafleur has said on multiple occasions that all 11 of the guys on the football field, one, they got to be on the same page and two, the, the overall play from that group, or all 11 players, the offense has to elevate because it's going to be really tough sledding against that Lions defensive front. Adam Stenovich, you know, and talking about him, he said that, you know, from a, a construction standpoint, a scheme standpoint, he's mentioned them being similar to the New Orleans Saints, called the linebackers aggressive. Uh, mentioned that Aiden Hutchinson has been moving around more this season. Um, the interior defensive line is really good at getting off blocks. And then safety, Brian Branch, they've been playing him down in the box quite a bit. And 
he's just flying around making plays. Like it, it's going to be a tough, tough sledding for this Green Bay Packers uh, offense in that capacity. And there's always, there's just such a, you know, if it's not working, negative trickle down effect to what that does to the rest of the offense or to the passing game specifically. You know, if you're in the second and eights, the third and sevens, the predictable passing situations, the defense is doing the dictating now. They're the ones getting into the favorable matchups. On the flip side, if you're able to stay ahead of the sticks, put yourself in second and third and shorts, the playbook opens up a lot more than Matt LaFleur can do as a play caller, more opportunities for play action. It takes some of that burden off of Jordan Love, off of the receivers in the passing game, because you have that threat of the run. So, and in the, you know, an important aspect for the Packers is that even if they're not finding a ton of success from a you know picking up chunk run standpoint, they're going to have to commit to it. You know, because if you're not effective, you at least need to be in a situation where the defense thinks, well, they might run it here you know, to give yourself a fighting chance from a, from a passing game standpoint, as we all know, you can't get one dimensional, especially with a a young offense and one that's been so inconsistent, high and low as this Packers unit has been. Yeah, it's been, it's had to have been a bit too many smoke and mirrors so far for green Bay because they haven't been able to run the ball and you can get by with that for a few weeks, but at some point during the course of a season, you have to be able to run. And when you needed a third and one against the Falcons and you had to have it, you couldn't get it. And those are the sort of things that catch up with you over time. And against the Detroit Lions team, that's very good and very scrappy. And is just going to battle you for four quarters. Mm-hmm. Those are things that matter a ton. So I think that's going to be a massive key to this game. By the way, that Lions draft, you want to know why the Packers and Lions are battling for the outright, you know, NFC North in this game right now, those two draft classes for both teams and the impact that they're getting out of their rookies, that Lions draft class, class is going to be a pain for a while with Jameer mm-hmm. Gibbs, Campbell, and then, you know, Brian Branch at safety looks incredible. Um, Laporta at tight end. And then obviously for Green Bay, Van Ness and Musgrave and and Reed and Wicks and all these guys like th- those draft classes are helping a ton for both of those teams. You would swear that uh, maybe the team that had the number one overall pick would be uh, in that conversation, but uh, not so much. I know they traded it away, but that's another story for another day. As we continue on with our talk here about Packers and Lions, what are some of your keys for the Packers or you know, just in general in this game? I mean, we hit on a big one, and I'm going to stick with it on both sides of the ball. It's the run game. Yeah. Being somewhat of effective, efficient in it, but also stopping it. And I'm picking those because you know those are areas of weakness right now for the Packers, being able to pick up yards on the ground and being able to slow the opponent's run game. Although credit to them, they did well against the New Orleans Saints, you know, the shorthanded New Orleans Saints at the running back position on Sunday. But we went over the reasons why it's important on the offensive side of the ball for them to find at least some sort of success with it. On the other side, the Lions want to run the ball. They have the seventh most rush attempts per game um, in the NFL through three games. You just mentioned they got uh, Jameer Gibbs in the backfield as well. They want to set up play action. They want to utilize that. And when Jared Goff has gone off play action this year, he's been pretty effective with it as well. So, you know, and then there's this, the, the trickle down effect to that. If a team's moving the ball on the ground, it's going to tire out your, your, your defense. And I think back to that week 18 game in that second half where the lions were, you know, just continuing to run the ball against the green Bay Packers and what seemingly felt like wearing them down. There's a time of possession aspect of it. You know, look at the Falcons game and what that, you know, inability to stop the run 
did to, and it was, again, it was the offense not converting first downs as well, but the time of possession, the number of plays ran just a massive discrepancy. And again, the Lions ability to build off of that run game in their passing game play action, just a massive, in that instance, positive trickle down effect to the rest of how the offense operates and the added challenges that it brings to Green Bay Packers. So for me, it's the run game on both sides. Can they find some sort of efficiency in it for themselves? And can they contain the Lions run game? Yeah, for me, I got a few mostly low-hanging fruit ones here, but Aiden Hutchinson can't take over this game defensively for the Lions, and it's more if Zach Tom can't go and Bakhtiari can't go. I, I think Walker will hold up fine. We just talked, obviously, about him, but that's still not an easy matchup for anyone, especially somebody making their third career start. And then, I, I you know, Yash versus Aiden Hutchinson gives me some, some major concern as well. So uh, Hutchinson, regardless of who's out there, can't let him wreck the game have to move Jared Goff off of his spot, cannot just sit there and pick you apart. It's going to be paramount that this defensive front gets, even if it's not sacks, whatever, mm-hmm. just they got to move him around a little bit and just not feel comfortable. If he feels comfortable, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And if he's not comfortable, that falls apart very, very quickly. So that's a huge one. And then I think, I don't think Green Bay can win this game. I don't know. Maybe this is uh, hyperbolic, but like, I think they actually need to win the turnover battle in this one. And I know Matt LaFleur wants it plus two every single game. I'm sure every coach would love it Mm -hmm. plus two every single game. But like, I think Green Bay needs to be at least plus one in this game in the turnover battle. I think an even or a negative turnover battle is going to be advantage lions. These Thursday night home games are sometimes as the home team, you get some weird bounces. The other teams having to travel on a short week and, just weird things happen. I think Green Bay needs to come up with a couple of those bounces in this game um, if they want things to go in their favor. After an emotional fourth quarter victory, uh, just a four days before, sometimes those have a hangover effect, good, bad, or ugly. And uh, I think there could be a little bit of that in this game as well. So getting a couple turnovers or just at least winning the turnover battle, I think would go a really long way for Green Bay, as it usually does. Mm-hmm. Well said. All right, last thing, and then we'll get you out of here. Biggest thing that you've learned about this Packers team through three weeks, it feels like we're constantly unwrapping a new present and a new something that we learn about this team every, every single week. Uh, but what's the biggest thing that you've learned through three weeks? And there's a, there's a lot of options and obviously we can point to what we've seen from Jordan love, but taking kind of a step back and just the 30,000 foot view of this team. And we, I feel like we touched on a little bit at the beginning and I'm going to use Matt LaFleur's word, but resilient. Um, that fourth quarter comeback. And I know, I think you tweeted it out about how the stretch of, you know, from the Falcons game, that final quarter through the first three of just uh, inability to do really anything on offense during that stretch. But, you know, the youth that they have, you know, this might be one of those instances where that, uh, you know, not knowing is as Adam Stenovich said, there's no scars, you know, that they have or past experiences to reflect to. It's just, what's the next play? What's the next play? Um, just that mentality and that ability to come up with big plays, you know, Jordan Love, Jordan or Jaden Reed, uh, Romeo Dobbs, uh, just that ability and that resiliency, regardless of what the circumstances were, or what's happened previously to bounce back and just keep chopping wood, moving on to the next play. And you know, obviously that fourth quarter is a great example of that. But this this team uh, in key moments, you know, we look at third downs, red zone performance on both the offensive side and defensive side of the ball. That's where this Packers team has really made their money through the first three games of the season. And overall, again, that's a small sample size, but 
but those are always key stats, key moments within every single football game that are going to play huge roles in deciding what the outcome is over the course of that four quarters. And again, on both sides of the ball, this this group has risen to the occasion and performed well you know, overall in those in those instances, in those moments. So I think, again, it goes a lot back to the, or I know a lot of it goes back to the culture that they've instilled, you know, Matt LaFleur and also just the, the Packer way, as we've often heard about. And you went back to last season, the Chicago Bears game. A big moment for me was the Dallas game. Yeah. Middle of a five-game losing streak, down 14 points in the fourth quarter. Like, they 100% just could have packed it in at that point. But yeah. that fight, that comeback, to me, that was that was such a pivotal moment. And, you know, and like Matt LaFleur as, you know, as a head coach, because that – five game losing streak. That was the first like boom, long stretch of adversity, you know, in his head coaching career that they were experiencing. And to see the players at that time fight back against a very good Dallas team down 14 in the fourth quarter, like, you know, just a lot about what LaFleur has established, but the Packers culture as a whole. And again, seeing what they've accomplished or what they were able to do coming off of a, a game against Atlanta where they blew blew the lead. And I imagine that had to just be a, a hard week to kind of get through, you know, recovering from that. And then you find yourself not being able to, you know, get off to a fast start. You dig a huge hole for yourself, but just continue to fight back. So just the, the resiliency of this group and their ability just to keep going next play, next play, next play. I think it's, it's obviously that stood out and was really impressive. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I had just the competitiveness and the resilience of this team on my list as well. The, the, a couple other ones really quick. The madness of a Matt LaFleur offense that I think we're seeing mm-hmm. in its true form. They're not afraid to throw it deep and, and attack you on every level at any given moment. We saw a crazy throwback play to Aaron Jones week one, a flea flicker to open things in week two. We saw a crazy fourth down play. It didn't work this week, but that's okay. You like you. you Miss the shots you don't take. You can't miss the shots. Whatever the stupid saying is, you know what I mean. But uh, you got to mm-hmm. take uh, some crazy shot. But like this Matt Lafleur offense has some madness to it, and I absolutely love it. I still think the biggest takeaway from me through three weeks is that Jordan Love's a legitimate starting quarterback in this league. And mm-hmm. going into the year, we just we, nobody knew. Nobody knew what this was going to look like until we saw it. I, we still don't know what the range is for how great he can be, and maybe even how bad he can be at times. I think we're still in a little bit of a honeymoon phase of like, this is really fun. This is a new quarterback and there's some really cool things out there. There's some things that are not so great, but it's still really fun. Um, so I don't know that we know the total range yet, but there's zero question in my mind. He is a legitimate, competent starting NFL quarterback in this league. And it's been really and I, far above even my expectations so far. So that's the biggest thing I've learned. Paul, amazing, amazing stuff as always. Uh, tell everyone, of course, where they can find all of your amazing work and where we can find you on social media. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it, Andy. Follow me on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettle. Find all my work over at Packers Wire. Hit me up on YouTube. Hit subscribe. Channel name, Paul Brettle. You can find it there. You can make sure, to, of course, to follow him at Paul underscore Brettle. Uh, let's get this man to 10,000 followers. It is far overdue, so go follow <laughs> him right now. Uh, you can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. That is going to do it for Paul and I today. We will talk again next week, but until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. 